Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. <laughs> Did you bring wine? I got the glasses. You guys, I made a quiz. And I didn't bring anything, but I'm here to have fun. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the official Broad Wasted Podcast, where we're drunk on theater. I'm your host, Brian Plofsky, and I'm dead and loving it. If this is the last voyage of the Demeter, then grab your invitation to join the Monster Squad. Did you meet Renfield or meet Abbott and Costello? Well, then take out your blade and befriend Van Helsing, because a lot of this is untold. Joining us today are the usual Brides of Dracula, including... Kevin, the satanic rites of Jaeger, he's still in his coffin, so he's not joining us today. But <laughs> we do have Kimberly, our once-bitten game master and unofficial babysitter for the hour. Once-bitten? <laughs> Hello. Uh, and with us today is an award-winning writer-director extraordinaire. You may have seen his work in L.A., like the revival of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, or his current uh, baby, Dracula, A Comedy of Terrors in New York City. Let's give a big, broad-waisted welcome to Friend of the Show. Friend of the Show. Gordon Greenberg. Hello. Hi. Thank you for having me here. I have to say, I just got what Broadway did. <laughs> was. <laughs> looking at it and I'm like, what's Broadway stead? Like homestead or in yeah, horses. <laughs> we, we talk about, yeah, yeah, about we're farms. just, we're just going to talk about a light in the piazza ending the whole time. Oh. It's clever. It's very clever. I'm, you. I'm with you. And I'm glad I poured some wine. So yeah. Yeah. Spirit. You well, knew that's in a, your heart what you were about. You, to exactly. Yeah, you could feel it. The you, wine. You, oh, your I don't think that. Right. <laughs> I don't need any excuse for, for the wine, but <laughs> I'm happy well, to play along. <laughs> that is a great segue uh, into our first segment. What are you drinking? What are we drinking? Oh my so gosh! I, I I should promo this because my partner and I love this red that we get from Beacon Wines, and it's called La Vieille Ferme. It's literally. 
$8.99 a bottle. Is that yeah. crazy? And it's so good. It's dry. It's smooth. It's French, low in tannins, no headaches, delicious pairs beautifully with pretty much any meal or even without a meal or even with uh, smart food, cheese, popcorn. It works, <laughs> uh, but it's a high recommend. And um, it's a nice kind of unwind at the end of the day wine. I love that. Wonderful. I probably had it with popcorn as well. Exactly. But I think I've never attempted to say the name. I'm just like the rooster, the, the rooster. Oh, one. this one. That's so amazing. Yeah. It means the old farm. Um, oh, yeah. And it, uh, yeah, it feels a little Kerry Washington when you're <laughs> having your popcorn and giant red wine and a bowl of popcorn. Exactly. That's my idea of paradise. <laughs> uh, Kimberly, what are you drinking today? Oh, just a concoction of things I still have in my house. So just a little seltzer and gin and a splash of bitters. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's almost a Moscow mule. Almost. Almost. Pretty they close. A Brooklyn mule. Slimy things. Yeah. Um, I am Brian, drinking. Yeah, I have some beer. I'm drinking um, Maine Beer Company. Uh, their um, IPA mm-hmm. called uh, Little Whale Boat. So I'm drinking that. Um when we went to Maine this summer, we brought back like a case of Maine Beer Company and we're working our way through it. And I just felt like opening one tonight. Very nice. nice. I like that you have a fancy cup for it, too. Oh, yes. And I mean, it uh, it defrosted a little bit, but this was in the freezer. I planned. Ooh. Yeah. Very. And I like that you're making that case last all the way into the fall. Yeah, we're, we're doing our best. We're doing our best. We will. We finished our wedding beer from a year and a half ago. So we had to start something else. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Congratulations, Mazel Tough. That's great. Oh, thank you, thank you. Um, but uh, yeah, let's uh, let's let's just get started. What's uh, what's your favorite musical? Oh my gosh, that's so hard. Why do you ask such controversial questions? <laughs> you can define. You can define. You can give multiple answers. You can define how you want to answer it. Up to uh, you. Well, I should say that um, my uh, first musical was Greece, which I saw when I was seven. And when I saw that, I didn't know there was any other musical. I thought it was its own. <laughs> I love that. So my plan as a seven-year-old was to grow up and be in Greece. And then once I had done that, I'd direct Greece in other mm-hmm. places. And then maybe I'd write in Greece too. Um, I, just, <laughs> I, I was unaware that that it was one of Betty. Um, <laughs> and then ultimately, many years later, um, uh, I found Evita, which um, between that and Dream Girls, I used all my bar mitzvah money to see it every Saturday. Every <laughs> Saturday afternoon, I would see one of those shows. Um, and I think both of them had at their core something so theatrical to them. Both were non-literal. I mean, the Hal Prince original staging of Evita is impossible to um, to really match uh, for what it did and and how it moved theater forward. And I think for me as a kid, my imagination, just knowing that with some chairs and a rake stage, um, you could tell such a tremendous story. Um, so I always loved that. It was a big, big part of my childhood. And then Dreamgirls was another huge uh, part of my childhood. Um, and I probably spent more time than I should have studying fascism in South America. Uh, <laughs> until my, you know, seventh grade teacher pulled up, uh, you know, a little red flag to my parents, like there may be an issue here. And they said, no, he's, he's just a theater queen. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, dream girl, same. And, and when I really think about shows that are um, beautifully constructed 
um, things like uh, Fiddler on the Roof, which is so well made, it is hard to to not do a beautiful production of it. Um, Guys and Dolls, obviously, I'm, I'm deeply familiar with, mm-hmm. um, and I do think it's possible to not do a great production of that. It's sure. it's a lot. It's a lot of material for attention spans today, mm-hmm. um, but it's another excellent one. Um, gosh, there are so many, but I think if I had to pick a favorite, it would probably just be Dreamgirls for the sheer um, nostalgia and and sentimental value that it that it has to me. Sure. Uh, Kimberly, does James have a favorite musical just yet? My baby? <laughs> yes. <laughs> How old is James? He's four months old. Is he a human? He is. He's a human. He is asleep just here. Oh, that's a real baby. I thought I thought it was, James was going to be a dog or a cat. No, no. He's a real human baby. <laughs> that's um, nice. And actually, I was, I sing his lullabies to him. I have a playlist that I'm adding to of theater songs that I consider lullabies. Oh, that's cool. Um, so if anyone has suggestions for more, uh, but right now he's very into Kimberly Akimbo. So that's mm-hmm. his favorite as One should. As okay. one should. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I like Carolina Change for that, for lullabies and for the gym. And for the gym. Oh, yeah. It does get you going. Oh, I have sung some Carolina Change for him before because then it just goes into like a like suggested songs on Spotify. Mm. So somehow we also sing um, Mad About You from Head Over Heels a lot in this house. Nice. Right. <laughs> I like that. Also from the 80s. Also from the <laughs> 80s, yes. Um, well, here's a question. Um, in terms of, you, you mentioned nostalgia and a lot of our favorite musicals end up being ones we grew up with or, or, uh, you know, said something to us during an important part of growing up or not even growing up, but just a, a part of life. Do you think that it is possible for a new musical that somebody sees at an older age to become a favorite musical when it doesn't have that nostalgia attached to it? That's a really good question. Um, I think there are different appeals to musicals because they're so visceral and they kind of get you in the heart. They make the hairs on the back of your neck stand up if they're functioning well. They're a gateway drug for theater, right? So Mm. you can be seven and understand the power of a musical more than you can a play for the most part. Um, Some of the plays I write, you know, with Steve Rosen in particular are a function like musicals almost. So I feel like a lot of them can work for young people, but um, the, just the kinetic, um, energy that comes off the stage is enough. Now, the things that make a musical work for me um, are uh, not only craft and um, sort of just the intellectual Rubik's Cube of how something is put together, um, but sometimes my experience with a family member um, or my partner who's not in theater, he's a doctor, but he'll watch something and mm-hmm. When he's moved by something, I am moved. Or I took my nephew, who's 13, to see Kimberly Akimbo and watching him get carried away by it. And when she sings that song, I like your point of view, um, to that kid with the anagrams, um, Mm -hmm. he just started crying and I started crying. And I texted David Stone, this is my new favorite musical, um, because of how powerful it was to my nephew in middle school, who is, you know, middle school is a, a horrible time of life. Sure. Uh, and it gave him some emotional 
uh, intelligence um, that I, I like to think made him feel a little less alone and buoyed and um, is still with him. Um, and that to me is the greatest thing a show can do. Like if a show entertains you, fabulous. If it's, as my dad would say, a toe tapper, wonderful. But if it's also a therapy session and it can <laughs> a little bit, then it's worth $200. Then it's worth everything because yeah. it's your life better in ways that um, are hard to quantify. Yeah, I love that. I love that somebody else, I love your answer of somebody else having that experience can impact the experience you have. I think mean, that's beautifully said. It's so true. I mean, what what is the value of anything if you're not sharing it? It's why we're in theater. Mm -hmm. You're doing this podcast, right? I'm assuming the joy is not only in um, the eyeballs or the attention, but it's in sharing a story that you think by putting it into the world is going to make people's lives a little better, maybe, um, hopefully. Definitely. Or yeah. diverted from all the things that are are not so better <laughs> on a day to day basis. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, did you every did show you... I've seen, I remember who I saw it with. Like I can yeah. always oh, like definitely. picture where I was sitting and who I was sitting next to. For sure, the seeing the show alone yeah. is still. I mean, I do it, but I much prefer to see it with someone else because I love. I love the comparing notes. And even when I am alone, maybe it's because I'm a director, but half the time I'm looking at the people in my row behind me, just fascinated to see if they're, if they're connecting uh, and how it's, what is that relationship between the story that's coming off the stage and the audience? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, did you, did you grow up in and around the city? Did you grow up? Uh, where did you grow up? I grew up in Rockland County. Um, okay about 20 miles north of the city in a town called New City, um, which is next to Nyack and Tarrytown and just north on the Hudson. At the yeah. time, I felt like I could have been in Nebraska. I, I had mm. I felt just, you know, leagues away from, from anything um, New York. So my greatest ambition was always just to live in the city where I could see a Broadway show whenever I wanted to. I mean, I used to, it was a special occasion. I would have my parents drive me into the city and I would pose underneath marquees of Broadway shows, <laughs> snapshots, like Kodak pictures from yeah. the film that developed. Um, and then I was in my first Broadway show when I was 14, um, thanks to Stage Door Manor, um, where I had to oh, beg my parents to go there. They wouldn't let me go till after my bar mitzvah. Um, <laughs> You know, it'll turn you gay if you go too soon. Uh, <laughs> of course, didn't matter. Still turned me gay. <laughs> but um, I went there and then um, in, in that first year, um, a manager named Shirley Grant, who at the time represented big names like Keisha Knight Pulliam from The Cosby Show. Sure. Like people, I was terrified and she auditioned the whole camp and picked like five of us to represent and put me out for auditions and... Uh, in that year, I got cast in the show called The Little Prince and the Aviator, which hangs proudly on the wall of Joe Allen's as a legendary flop um, <laughs> based on the San Exuberi book. It was me and Anthony Rapp were both child actors in it. Um, and I played young Michael York due to my um, aggressive British accent. <laughs> I was very proud of it. Um, and uh, and that was my introduction to show business. Um, and it, uh, it was 
I, I think all of a sudden I felt like it was possible. Like it just put it all within reach. Um, and I started to consider um, that there may be other careers, you know, and, and a, an actual mm-hmm. life to be built around the theater as impractical as it seemed to me and to my parents who were like a dentist and a lawyer and very square um, and not, not unsupportive, but definitely not supportive. Like, even when I was 14, I organized my own transportation. I found someone, I paid them out of my salary because my parents were like, you figure it out. If you can figure it out, you can do it. Um, and I had a guy who was a stagehand on another show who lived near us. Um, and so he would wait for me at McHale's bar, um, <laughs> much <laughs> like this podcast, drinking. <laughs> and my show is much longer because it was in previews and, a, and, a, and in trouble and a mess. We had three different mm. directors in four weeks. Oh, um, wow. Yes. Our stage manager ended up becoming the director, um, Jerry Adler who's an actor, he was in is, uh, some, what was that, Woody Allen, Manhattan Murder Mystery? He's been mm. in a bunch. Um, he was the third and final. Um, but uh, that was my that was my time and my introduction to, um, to really professional theater. And um, after that, I started to think about how, on a practical level, I could make a life doing it. Um, and with a lot of, you know, sort of, um, left turns and, and, uh, careful navigation, I, I ultimately came back to it. So can you talk a little bit about how those experiences, like specifically like getting yourself there and, and the director changing so many times and kind of being a part of a very chaotic experience and then probably being a part of more or less chaotic experiences, how that influenced your philosophy as a director? It's interesting. I never thought I was a director. At that point, I was just an actor. All I wanted to do was act. I, I mean, I was 14. Right. Um, but since then, um, working with lots of different directors on plays and musicals on Broadway and uh, regionally and abroad, um, I kind of picked up different styles and started to um, started to feel very strongly impulses um, for how I would want to tell a story and what I thought was particularly effective at moving large groups of people simultaneously. Um, and I remember at some point I was doing yet another um, Neil Simon play, um, probably Broadway bound. At, I think it was Indiana Rep with Libby Apple, who ran the uh, Oregon Shakespeare uh, Festival. Ashland Festival. Yes. At the time, um, a beautiful, generous, wonderful uh, director. And I <laughs> innocently and naively went up to her at one point and said something about someone else's performance. He's doing it wrong. This is how it should be. It's so clear. Right. And she looked at me and said, it's not clear. That's the point of theater. There are 8000 ways to do it. This is I'm I'm sort of orchestrating this one. I'm the air traffic controller here. Um, but the fact that you feel it so strongly tells me you should consider a career in directing. Um, mm. I will write your recommendations. And here's where I would apply if I were you. Yale. Uh, UCLA, NYU, and I did, and she did. Um, and then um, I almost went. And um, I'm not sure why, but at the moment, I I, um, I decided not to go to grad school. Um, I think I, at that time, was in How to Succeed. It was like the late 90s, the Matthew Broderick one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 
I was thinking about my options and I realized that I could start to develop pieces on my own. Um, and I did that. And I, I think the first play I started developing was with Daryl Roth. Um, and uh, we had a mutual friend who wrote a play about coming out. I mean, it was late nineties. That was still a subject. Um, and it was <laughs> um, a play that we ultimately did starring Tova Feldshu, of course, and a slew of brilliant Jewish women. It was a very Jewish centric story. Um, it was, who else was in it? Doris Belak um, from Tootsie. If you look her up, she's the one who said, how about Cleveland? Like mm -hmm, where they mm -hmm. pull the camera back. Um, Alex Corey was my voice teacher at the time. And is hilarious. She was Yenta in the last fiddler, Jess Stone, um, who, as you know, is a director now too. Mm -hmm. Um, and we had been in how to succeed together. So we were pals and in a pencil commercial, actually a commercial for the IRS about the move to um, electronic filing. And we played board pencils. Um, and that was, <laughs> that was yeah. um, so I think that was me starting to put together how you direct and really by calling ideas from different people I had um, worked with and what was successful, what was not, how do you nurture actors? How do you give notes in a way that is not um, overwhelming? How do you treat notes like antibiotics just a little at a time and let mm -hmm. it slowly sink in and create, um, obviously now we would say a safe atmosphere, but at the time I just said, how do you create a friendly atmosphere where sure. people are kind to each other and we operate on the principle of, um, yes. And like a good improv. So everyone says, yes, let's see, let's explore that. And it's something I, I obviously still try to try to do. Um, the interesting thing about my trajectory as a director, I would say over the years is going from the impulse to try and control everything because it's almost like, like editing a movie is simple and clear. You can, you can, fix the rhythm so that it works exactly how you want it. Mm -hmm. And that's why when an actor auditions for a film or a TV show, they don't have to be everything. You don't have to give your full performance, but we need aspects of it. So okay. I could, if I were casting a TV show, I could just have someone who knows how to cry, knows how to whisper, knows how to giggle, knows how to make a snarky comment. And then I put it together and fix the timing. If you're casting someone for, uh, for a play or a musical, they need to almost self-edit. They need to know how to create the rhythms, the cadence, and sustain it and understand um, why they're doing it so that there's a fire within and that it feels like it's it's fueled by something that is true and relatable. Um, and understanding as a director that you cannot control everything, and it's the first thing I share with actors until you recognize you're not going to be perfect, you won't even be good. So it's it's like, don't let perfect be the enemy of good. Um, so understand that it's your foibles, your imperfections, your, your the fraying edges that make you human and interesting and vulnerable. Um, and you remember when Adina Menzel like cracked on some, I don't know where it was. She was singing something in a very public way and people, people came after her. I think people yeah. were... Um, Tony's, I think. Yeah, was it Tony's. Tony Award? Yeah, that, that's pretty public for the theater. Yeah. Um, and people came after her, and she said, "Oh, I only hit that note seventy-five percent of the time. That's twenty-five percent where I don't. But if I sing it in such a way that I'm going to hit it ninety-nine percent of the time, it won't be exciting." And yep. 
that's why like there's a mm-hmm. risk there's a danger you wouldn't go see Cirque du Soleil if there was a net right under them there's a risk fair and and that's why you go see a play you can tell the difference between an actor who is who's truly risking something emotionally physically whatever it is in in a safe way there's there's a yeah. safety net there somewhere but you shouldn't see it um, yeah. <laughs> and, and that's what uh what makes uh, an evening out like that feel relatable and thrilling um, so all that is to say that as a director coming to the the idea that I am creating barriers, safe guardrails for actors, almost like a bento box for their performance. Sure. So here are all these little compartments that you're going to play in all night. And this will get you to here and this will get you to here. Within that, the chemical reactions will be different, unique every night. Um, and that will be a beautiful thing. Uh, and the audience will feel it. But if every move is programmed and it is for some shows, the, the things that I direct are usually not like that. Even something like Dracula, which is highly choreographed within mm-hmm. that, there are pockets, lots of air pockets for play for, um, for actors to feel impulses and feel the audience and, and enjoy it. And that freedom I believe is, is a big part of, the um, ebullience and um, and and levity uh, of the evening in a show like Dracula, but really in any show. And Virginia Woolf, I mean, there is no way to program that three hour and 15 minute show, especially with, you know, with actors who are as skilled and and starry and wonderful mm-hmm. uh, and creative as the people that that we had in that company. Mm-hmm. Uh, I felt like I certainly had a point of view and I wanted them to know that. Um, but it was, it was all there just to support them um, and to make sure we're all on the same page. And other than that, um, I think everybody left off a cliff every night knowing that there was this net unseen there for sure. Yeah. You're building their safety net for them. Totally. That's my hope. That's my hope. above. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you mentioned it. Let's talk a little bit about Dracula. Um, where where did your idea come from? Where are you are you a big uh, you know Universal Monster fan? Are you of the book? Like where did that come from? And kind of like how did you develop that? And 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 what was the impetus? Well, Steve Rosen and I had written um, a show called Ebenezer Scrooge's Big Your Town Here Christmas <laughs> Show, <laughs> um, and we wrote it originally for the Bucks County Playhouse because they kept asking me to direct Christmas shows. And Robin Goodman called again with some other idea, and I just said, "Robin, can I just write one already? Like this is this is nuts. Just give me the parameters." And they were like, five people, cheap set. This is what we want. It'll be producible." <laughs> um, and I said, "Great, I'll come back to you in two months." And Steve and I wrote it. It did very well. Um, and uh, ultimately, we rewrote it, continued to work on it for um, uh, San Diego for the Old Globe. Okay. Uh, and it's still playing there in its fifth year now, um, opposite the Grinch in the other theater. And, cool. uh, wow. and San Diego plays in the round, which I love. Um, but it's highly physical, much like Dracula, five people, one of which is Scrooge, the other four play multiple roles and they change live on stage there's music there's merriment there's physical hijinks it feels like a cross between play that goes wrong 39 steps um and elf like it's it's just and then we use some of the real dickens text but not a whole lot um and 
uh, Andrew Cato, who runs the Maltz Theater in Florida, which used to be the Burt Reynolds Dinner Theater a million years ago, which is really fun. <laughs> fun fact. Um, and he had worked there when he was a kid as a waiter and always wanted to go back and turn it into uh, a non-dinner theater. And he did that very successfully. Um, and he said, we've never commissioned anything. I want to commission something. Can you do a Dracula that's like your uh, Christmas Carol? Mm. Um, do the same thing, riff on it, whatever you want, five people. Um, and so Steve and I took the challenge and wrote it and they did it there just before the pandemic. Um, and then we went to Chicago Shakes to do a workshop there. And um, Rick Boynton, who's um, in charge of new works there and is a really smart dramaturg, gave us incredible notes um, and we continued to tweak the piece. Um, and then uh, the world shut down and Dory Berenstein offered to put it out as a radio podcast. And um, we created this uh, amazing version with everyone because everyone was available. So mm -hmm. everyone from <laughs> John Stamos, Chris Sieber, Laura Benanti, Ashley Park, James Monroe Eichelhardt, uh, Alex Brightman, Rob McClure, Richard Kind, just a whole panoply of crazy talented people. Um, uh, Annalie Ashford, just everyone's in it. Um, and they were so great and it caught on and it did well. And between that and, um, I guess the word about what we had been developing for the stage, um, got us more productions and producers, which then led to, um, further development at Capital Rep. And then in Montreal, the Siegel Center, which is such a beautiful theater, um, and then here off Broadway um, in a commercial run at New World Stages, where it currently is running. Um, and it it's just been a joy to develop that show over, over these years where its primary function is to make people feel good. Um, there, of course, is thought in there. There is a play underneath the play. There has to be because it can't, mm -hmm. you can't you know, support a whole evening on cotton candy. Um, so we knew why we wanted to write it. We knew that underneath the idea of Dracula of everlasting life is how does life lose its value and is too much of something just as bad as not enough. Um, and we put at the center of the story, a couple who were questioned, who were about to get married, but sort of questioning it and uncertain and Dracula, who, um, is this horrible narcissist who is also questioning, he's sort of a pansexual Gen Z guy who is going through, um, an early slash very late, uh, midlife crisis, uh, <laughs> sort of wondering what the point of all of it is. But in doing that, in looking for his purpose, he ends up being a divider between this woman and this man. Um, and as the more we developed the show, the deeper we went into the life of Bram Stoker, who was himself a closeted queer guy living in Victorian London. He ran the Lyceum Theater where the Lion King is playing near Covent Garden. Mm -hmm. uh, and through his job there, became friendly with Walt Whitman when he visited and Oscar Wilde and had these deep epistolary relationships with them. And we found very cool letters and went back to the book and suddenly were able to read between the lines um, of what was there. Uh, and so we incorporated that into the show and really now have a sort of equal opportunity seducer um, who uh, with Andrew Keenan Bolger, there's a, there's a whole romantic entanglement. And then with Jordan Boatman, there's a whole romantic thread and you're never quite sure who he's actually gunning for, but one gets the sense that he's gunning for himself at the end of the day. Sure. He wants the attention. 
um, and I won't spoil the rest, but um, around that story is a whole world of um, insanity um, of different characters and people um, sort of theatrically changing characters either quickly backstage and ultimately just in front of your eyes. Um, it becomes quite manic and silly. And we have a cast that's so inventive and so fearless and strong and, and, and skilled and experienced that um, it's a joy to watch them just as actors be able to do this kind of high wire act every night. Um, it really is. It should make you a little nervous. And there are moments <laughs> the audience is just breathless from how fast things happen and they break into applause um, some of these changes that Ellen Harvey, when she, you know, she starts off as Renfield, jumps out a window and is screaming, ah, as if she's falling. And then all of a sudden comes in a, in a whole new costume as another. <laughs> and they're like, how did that just happen? Um, but that's part of the fun. That's the silliness. And um, there are those sorts of things all over the place. And there is puppet sex. There is go-go bordello, gypsy punk rock. And it's a, it's, it's a wild night out. And um uh, I'm really proud of it. And it's, it's a lot of fun and the cast loves each other. And, um, and that I'm very proud of as well. It's like, it's like my dad feeling good when I'm with my brother and sister. That's great. And with such like a risky show where they're doing so many costume changes, it's probably very helpful that they all get along because I'm oh sure my gosh. they're all yeah. helping each other every second. The space at new ages is highly limited. Um, yeah thing is we share a backstage with the play that goes wrong so they are passing each other i mean the <laughs> up crossovers are the same and in previews early in previews someone walked in not on stage but to the back of the house where i was sitting writing notes and literally the door popped open so loud and the light floods in and i looked like furious like who is ruining my show and it was an actor from the play that goes wrong in his underwear i don't know where he thought he was going but I was like, you're in the wrong theater. Get out. <laughs> out of the play that goes wrong. Um, so it's definitely nice there. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press one. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press two. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandslots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Should we play a game? Oh, oh. sure. Let's play a game. Okay. I have a spooky, what did I call it in my head? Just spooky season because that's what it is. Great. I spent my entire day decorating for Halloween at work. So that's what I do with my college degree. I put webs on mirrors and dance studios to make sure it's spooky for the children. That's so, great. Huh? Is that your job? I run a kid's dance studio. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. So yeah. I'm 
they're thrilled. People are serious about Halloween now in oh, a way yeah. that weren't always. Oh, and yes. And it's like October 1st, we decorate. I was like, okay. Yeah. Oh, my oh. God, Brian. <laughs> it's getting to be like Christmas. I mean, it's a month-long celebration. I love it. Absolutely. I mean, it might as well be. Like, why not? It's great. Costumes just the one day, but you might as well have fun for a month. Totally. I'm, I'm... Um, Okay, so in my... Oh, geez. It's the thing I do all the time. Is I lose my tabs. <laughs> well, while you're finding your tabs, I'll just say I was out in L.A. last week at my sister's. Um, and the people in Los Angeles are even more serious than New York about decorating for Halloween because really? that design, they all work in TV. Oh. Mm. Yeah. Insane. Insane how much they do. So just, fun, just for the love of it. This must be so interesting to be somewhere for Halloween that's not cold. Yes, it's not cold there, but they have. Like, it's not cold here right now. So oh, that is true. <laughs> it's 80 degrees. Yeah. Very hot today. <laughs> <laughs> everyone all of the kids were being like really rambunctious and weird and at the end of the day we were all like maybe they're all just hot <laughs> they all have to put a yeah because their parents were like it's fall and then they didn't need to <laughs> they're just they're just creeped out okay so my spooky season game we're going to create star vehicles for people in my lights of broadway show cards deck okay you'll pick an actor from the show card deck. Thing? Like Broadway uh, cards? What is that? They're the lights of Broadway show cards. Do you know Squigs? He does the illustrations. Right, yes. Kind of stuff. So he makes trading cards as well. Amazing. I did not know that. They're very cool. So you, this, I just pulled Kiala Settle as an example. And then there's like facts on the back. He um, he did such a beautiful drawing for Dracula. Oh, I, yeah? Yeah. That's amazing. I love those. I am obsessed with them. All right. So, uh, so I have a whole stack of people's cards, and then I also have pulled up um, a list of the 50 best classic horror movies of all time. Okay. So when it's your turn, you'll get, I'll sort of scroll. You tell me when I'll stop on a random horror movie, and I'll pull you a star, and then tell me how you would create something for that person to use the source material of that movie. With the source material. Okay. Yes. Great. Whether they're doing a cabaret act or a full-scale musical or something, but okay. how you would pair those two together? Have to be, could it just be like a Netflix series? Oh yeah, anything. Okay. Great. All right, Brian, do you want to go first? Yeah, sure. Okay, say when for a movie. Uh, when? The Last Man on Earth. Do you know this? Yeah. Oh, you do. Yeah, but you could pick something else. That's fine. No, you can do the last man on earth. Tell us all about it. Um, no, I, I want I want to redo. Pick something else. Okay, <laughs> Say when. When. The Omen. Okay, sure. I've never seen that movie because my dad told me how scared he was of it as a child. <laughs> I've just never seen it. Okay, now I'm gonna pick you someone random. All right. Liza Minnelli. Okay. In the omen, how would you? Do sure. That? Um. Huh. All right. So I've got a couple couple thoughts here. One, you have her play Damien. Um, kind of like Clifford, the Martin Short movie. 
um, where it's like awkwardly like an older person playing a younger person. And it's super weird, but it's a comedy. It's played for a comedy where she plays, you know, this this yo- this young child who is the you know the reincarnation of the devil. You can do that. I'm also thinking that I think you do the omen from the perspective of the housekeeper um in the movie uh and and that's liza and it's just like a very showy and, and told from that perspective uh, i guess that's also a comedy Damien. as well well yeah you know what liza plays every part in so, in everything <laughs> damien and everything um the one woman omen yeah no you know what i take it back this is a one woman show okay this is a one woman show um uh, but it's about Damien years later, about how Damien's life turned out. But we learn that, you know, the movie got it all wrong. Damien was their first bond, born daughter, and that's Liza. So Liza does a full one-woman show as, like, you know, Deborah, um, you know, the omen child. Uh, and, you know, she's she's doing numbers. She's explaining, like, and it gets more and more ridiculous as the show goes on. So, like, she's like, you know, my housekeeper killed herself. And then, like, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And um, and then, you know, and and uh, in the end, she, she you know, she, she talks about how she actually finally went down to hell. And it's just a wild romp. And it's, you know, it's like, it's like, it's like an hour and a half at 50, 54 below or something like that. You're good. Do you think Liza would play 54 below? Uh, I think if she, uh, I think she, hmm. I feel like. Good question. This describe could fill like the new palace. Yeah, it could probably <laughs> feel like the marquee. For sure. For six weeks, maybe. Yeah, I think that's fair. Just the Broadway Halloween. theater, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Is it um, the, the Britney Spears show closed? So we can put it in, in, in the marquee. That's totally fine. Yeah, as an interim yeah. thing, that could go there. Yeah, I'm into that. It's just oh, her in a chair right. with some like real nice, you know, red, you know, demon lighting. Who's <laughs> the music? Um, uh, she improvs it on the spot. Okay. No, uh, I think I don't know who writes the music for her. Um, uh, I think it's. Oh, it's this is tough. Bring him in. Huh. Say it again. It's it's your dream, so it could be anyone. <laughs> I know. Um, damn, who did not? Now you just got nervous. Who do I want? Spooky. Yeah. <clears throat> um. Uh, actually, what's crazy is that th- this is actually it, they found it in the Sondheim vaults, um, <laughs> and this is this is actually the last musical he wrote. It was crazy. It was wild. He just got so into Sweeney Todd that he wrote this, like, you know, as a little hangover from that, put it away. And then they just recently found it. And uh, and Liza decided that she's going to do it for six weeks to both honor him and, you know, have a little fun during October. I think you just extended your run. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, we plan for six weeks, knowing that we're going for much longer than that. And we already have the replacements lined up for like those six weeks after that and stuff like that. Replacements extensions. I feel like her first replacement is going to be Karen Mason. Yeah. I think that's, uh, we could Karen Mason. Um, um, I think we, uh, down the line, you get like Carol Lee Carmelo in there. Um, hey. <laughs> say that again. Need Elaine page. 
Yes, all all the greats who are still with us and and, and romping through life right now will all get a shot. Even if it's just the Wednesday matinees, that's totally fine, too. Money for international casting. Like, can we do visas, housing? (laughs) Yeah, we'll do everything. Yeah. Okay, I just want to I want to check before I let my imagination run. It's at the marquee. It comes with a room at the hotel. (laughs) Yeah, totally. (laughs) So that's Deborah. That's Deborah, based on Damien. (laughs) Yes. Starring Liza. Oh, and there's also I I totally forgot because this has a huge budget. There's a hologram of Gregory Peck with all new lines and everything. You know the Omen really well. When you mention the Universal horror movies, like is that something that you follow? Yes, I am. I am. I, I know a lot about horror movies and stuff like that. Yes. He also hosts a horror movie podcast. I do. Well, you have to come see Dracula. Oh yeah, I absolutely want to. I mean, this right up your alley. <laughs> oh, very much so. Very much so. Funny, Arnie Burton, who's in the in the cast, is also nuts about all of those. <laughs> and when he was a little kid, clearly. Um, he would stay inside and watch those movies um, on Channel 11 or whatever they were on. Oh, yeah. Growing uh, up, I used to um, I used to go in the TV guide uh, and look up what um, uh, uh, TCM was playing all day. I would schedule my VCR to record everything throughout the day. And then I'd come home and I'd have like, you know, Dracula. I'd have, you know, uh, uh I'd have the great the, the great dictator. Like I have all these old amazing movies, and I, that's what I would watch while I did my homework at night. So I'd, I'd like, and and I grew up on like Dracula and all that stuff, but Psycho and Jaws and all of that, and I just I love it. Did your parents appreciate that? Did they share your passion? Oh, very much so. They my parents shared their movie passion with me for sure. That's amazing. My yeah, I mean Hitchcock, all the Hitchcocks. I mean, I wanted to be a film director growing up. I read the Hitchcock Truffaut book backwards and forwards like five times. <laughs> That's so funny. Yes, I do love that. So you you will probably go see um, Here We Are quickly, soon. Say that again? Have you seen the new Sondheim? Oh, oh. not yet. Not yet. No. Well, knowing that it's based on, on two uh, well-known classic European films. Yes. Um, it's on my list. That's one. That's that's for reasons other than it's him. Like I absolutely, that's high on the list. That the 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 shark is broken. Um, Dracula. There's a lot that that's playing right now that I uh, I have to put my butt in a seat for. Got to get you onto Amtrak quick. Yes. I mean, I'm in there every Tuesday. I'm I'm in New York every Tuesday. So. Oh yeah, say my house. Yeah, should. Share a room with the baby. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Gordon, would you like a turn? Sure. Okay, say when for a film. And you can pick again if you don't know it. When? Sorry, I was trying to say when. I just had to mute myself because my dog was making loud noises. <laughs> okay. um, very timely for you, you got El Vampiro. Okay, I don't know it in particular, but I like the title and I can play with it. It's the classic Dracula tale you know, told from the perspective of an Argentine filmmaker, Fernando Mendez. You may not. Okay. All right. (laughs) Who's starring in it? Let's see. I'm so excited. (laughs) Oh, I got two not actors very quickly. It's going to star Anne Harada. 
<laughs> just ran to her like the other day when I saw Squigs at the Broadway flea market. Oh, I love Broadway flea. Um, I did. It was my first time ever going. Um, but we had some Dracula stuff going on, a little commotion oh, by to see. Um, and there was Anne, of course, who's such a great supporter of all shows and a great performer, too. She did oh. Holiday Inn, um, the second cast, which was at Paper Mill after Broadway. Yes, we saw it. We, we saw did. that one. We mm-hmm. did. I loved, I, I got to say, that cast was so special and loved yeah. Haley June and just all of them, Nick, Rodriguez. And anyway, I love Anne. We love each other. Um, so I would do anything with her for her. Um, and El Vampiro, I mean, it'll be interesting to see like a gender bending um, situation where she plays um, that director who is directing a Spanish language version of Dracula um, and suddenly realizes that she herself is actually a vampire um, and discovers in the course of that um, that she carries special blood and has inadvertently um, infected uh, her beloved husband and son um, and has to grapple with the consequences and um, uh, explain that to them. And that the only way really to save her children is to sacrifice her own life. So um, she uh, has great arias. Fortunately, um, Andrew Lloyd Webber has lent us his. Thankfully. Um, from Stephen Webber. Was that what it was called? Not Stephen Webber. Stephen, you know that show about the chiropractor? I'm not even kidding. It's about a chiropractor. Stephen. No. Oh my gosh. Hold on. Wait, I'm Googling it because it's too good. Stephen. Anyone British would know this. Stephen Ward. Stephen Ward. So this was an Andrew Lloyd Webber show about a famous chiropractor who became a confidant of some famous uh, members of parliament um, and got embroiled in a big scandal where he was hooking them up with um, young ladies uh, for pay. Uh, And he was, you know, a very high level chiropractor, let's say. (laughs) Uh, And he physical about it. It was also called, I think, the Profumo Affair, because that was the name of the, the MP. Um, and there was a movie about it called Scandal. Anyway, I think that score could easily be repurposed because um, it doesn't need to ever be purposed like that again. So I think Anne would sing a lot of that stuff well. Um, and we'd probably do all new arrangements um, that were broad and dramatic and um, probably bring Lynn in for some, you know, just to give it a little contemporary spin because it takes sure. place now. Perfect. So does that, I mean, is that worth seeing? Could that play? Yes. Like, would that be at? Oh yeah. Where would I would see it? that. Would you see it at Walnut street or would you come to Broadway for it? Um, Both, I mean, I personally tinker out of town for a while. Yeah, I guess if we did out of town in Philly, like where you could be a part of it, um, then I would probably use you, like have you come and consult and talk about that's what we are. And then we'd move it from Walnut into probably, um, I don't know, what house would something like that go in? It feels a little scary to me. The court? It was not the court anymore. The Blasco? Isn't that the most haunted theater? The Belasco. I love that idea. It's yes. a hunter. 
The, court- um, the marketing team would love that. Um, and just FYI, the James Earl Jones is one of the most beautiful theaters now on Broadway. It was completely renovated. Oh, the James Earl Jones. Right, 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 right. Or Gutenberg is about to open. Um, mm. But they taken out all the dressing rooms and made a huge backstage and moved them all to the building next door, which they purchased and occupy now. Um, and it's all incredibly well done, beautifully done. Cool. I want to go. Oh, so is that the games? Are we done with our games? Well, well Kimberly, you want to go? Yes. You tell me when. Me tell? When? Anyone. Okay. When? <laughs> the Shining. Okay. Got a good one. Starring. I'm very much looking forward to this. The Shining, starring Kate Baldwin. Oh. oh. That's an opportunity. Cool. So, I don't want to say it's also a one-woman show, but maybe it is just like she plays both husband and wife. I like it. And you never quite see them. Well, obviously, you never quite see them on stage at the same time. So it becomes known that it is just the mother there with the son. Well, are you thinking of Psycho? Maybe. Yes. I think you are. Isn't the there a wife that, and a little boy in a tricycle? Yeah, it's that's a scary uh, movie. I've only seen it once or twice. <laughs> who's Jack Nicholson then? Yeah, let's see. Okay, so Kate Baldwin plays Jack Nicholson's wife. Okay. This very lush, large musical version of The Shining at the Vivian Beaumont, so that we can really see the hotel and then it opens up. I love and this. You win there. Um, perhaps it really snows on stage, like Bart Scher is doing his best <laughs> giant production there. Um, and Jack Nicholson is Alex Brightman. I okay. love that. Um, the little boy's Liza Minnelli. Just kidding. <laughs> 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 um, it is a giant cast, a giant orchestra. Who will write it? Adam Gettle. I would seriously see this. I would very, 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 I would really see this for sure. I need to get the rights. Kate Baldwin as Wendy Torrance sounds incredible. She would have some incredible narrating. So she gets these very lush ballads contemplating what has brought her to this day. I dig that. I really dig that. From her perspective, that's killer. Unintended. And she's just in these very fun 70s outfits. Absolutely. The whole time. And that's The Shining. That's great. I love that idea. Yeah. Let's do it. The stage magic. Like with the, I mean, if you're doing the movie, like the stage magic with the maze and everything like the hedge mage would be truly uh, incredible. You bring in the team from Cursed Child. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's a, I mean, it's definitely an opportunity for fun magic projections, stagecraft, all of that. Oh, yeah. I think people would want to go. And I think for Alex, perfect. Yeah. I agree. He's doing I, his, he's, you know, from Richard Dreyfus to Jack Nicholson. I love it. <laughs> Hi. He'll just be in his like 70s actor era. <laughs> I love that. It's a good transition. All right. And that was our game, Spooky Star Season. That was fun. Thank you. I like I it. Would, 
Thank you for having me on that. I like that game. Yeah. Thank you for playing. Now I now I just want to see a, a shining stage production. I so when I was living in London, I saw a production of Vertigo. That's one of the best productions I've ever seen of uh of uh, ever. Um the the season was specifically books that were made into movies that were now going to be made back into plays. Um so Vertigo was the one that I bought my ticket to see and it it took place it was it was framed from the perspective of the Jimmy Stewart detective um but he's already been committed so it's the doctor and the nurse like talking through and they're trying to find out what happened so they keep um triggering him to like think that he's still in the trying to figure it out but everything is used from this like 1960s asylum so like they're using the like bathtubs and everything so it's it's all like it's like within the context of the play it's all found props and the thing i'll if if you know if for our listeners if you know vertigo there's a there are people falling from bell towers in the movie and there's this one moment, and I'll never forget in the play, where to simulate like him experiencing like her falling from the bell tower, they they on stage dipped all of these towels in water and dropped them from the top and they splattered on the stage. And it was just like I'm getting goosebumps right now. It was it was truly incredible to watch them like do all of vertigo, but not but not make you think of the Hitchcock movie, which was very hard for me, but I was just like so engaged. Um, that was super cool. If we're talking about like Hitchcock and, 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 you know, eerie movies, that's, that's not so horror as much as it is psychological, but still um, very cool. Anyway, just wanted to share that. Yeah. That sounds like a great idea. The poster alone. Yeah. I'm looking it up right now just to see where that was. Very. Um, the, program somewhere in here but um yeah that was super cool um but uh that was in like 2007 i think yeah i don't Um, see i'll find it it was uh the only two i remember from that season were vertigo and get carter huh it's based on a french novel Mm -hmm. living in the I think the novel is I've never read the novel but I I think the novel is from the same perspective of like the asylum and then the movie adapted it to just be the straightforward narrative. Yeah, based on a Parisian lawyer. Interesting. Stage. Super cool. 97 UK. Yep, Jenny Seagrove. I like um, it. That was a cool production. But uh one last question for you. If you had to direct yourself through the years in one show, you're the director and you're the performer, what show would you want? Single show, but you would play all the parts in it over the course of your lifetime. So, you know, when you're 15, you're playing this part, but, you know, you age up to play the patriarch of the show or whatever it is, and you're directing it as well. How what show? Would be. <laughs> yeah, how you thought Grace would be? <laughs> uh, what would you do? What would you pick? Like, oh wow! I'm trying to think of what would be um, how you thought Grace would be. <laughs> follow that. Probably um, the seagull. Uh, Ooh, 
used to be, I'm, I'm well past Trigorin and I'm, you know, or Treplev and, and now I'm headed for Arkadna. <laughs> that's, where, that's where I'm going. Um, but I don't mind. I love it. Um, and I feel like <sighs> I love all those characters and I would relish a chance to soak in any one of them. Um, they used to, I discovered years ago that on the lake where our house was in new city, they, um, uh, they used to do Chekhov on Lake Lucille. Um, every, and it wasn't when I was growing up there, I, I, it wasn't happening to my knowledge, but many years later, a friend of mine who was running a theater said, we've got to go see this thing. I don't know where it is. And he's directing me as we're driving up. And I said, we're driving to my house. <laughs> and with a view of my old house, I watched this beautiful production of the seagull. And I, it occurred to me how much of it, um, reflected my moments either at stage door as a camper, um, my, my music teacher there, my first music teacher and still beloved friend, Janine Tesori kind of instilled these, um, these values in us, this love for theater and, um, and discipline and rigor and, and respect for the craft and, um, almost this romance, uh, that I think is prevalent in in that play and many of Chekhov's plays, but for sure the seagull. And in fact, my dog, who's been barking, um, is named Chekhov because <laughs> we got <laughs> when we were living upstate and longing for Moscow slash New York. Oh, oh, that's amazing! I so, saw. Um, well, actually, that same time when I was in London, I saw the the before it came here, the Kristen Scott Thomas. Uh, Mackenzie Crook, Carrie Mulligan, Chuatel Eji of four production of The Seagull. And there were some, I think Christopher Landon adapted it or, um, but or Ham um, Hampton, sorry. Um, and uh, man, there were some, the direction of that play specifically, there were moments of silence on stage where, you know, but so much was happening. I'll never forget that. That was truly incredible where like she would just like wrap his wounds um, and uh, and it was just like you were just watching the the actors and the director had done such a strong job of creating these relationships that you didn't need the words to understand exactly what was happening. And the the placement of all that silence was just like truly immaculate. It's pretty freighted. I thought the new group just did a great version, too, with um, Parker Posey and an incredible cast. Um, but it was an up bid. Uh, oh my gosh, who did the update? I forgot. Someone terrific. Um, really interesting. But it's a story that I think is evergreen and highly relatable, particularly for people in the arts and people with mothers. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but thank you so much for joining us. Um, uh, if you're listening to this in the description, our tickets to see Dracula, um, definitely take that opportunity. Um, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciated your, your taking the time to chat with us. And, and we had a delightful time and I hope you did too. Absolutely. My pleasure. And I haven't even finished my glass of wine. Oh my <laughs> You've been having too much fun. <laughs> I talk too much. I got to shut my. <laughs> Um, but thank you so much for joining us. We really, really appreciate it. Um, uh, we end every episode with a quote, of course. Um, and today it is, blood will run down his face when he is decapitated. His head on my mantle is how I will let the world know how much I love you. Die, die, die. 
I can't. That is uh, Dracula's Lament from Forgetting Sarah Marshall. (laughs) Everyone asks about that. Everyone. Um, (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) uh, But, uh, yeah, you can find us wherever you're on social media at Broad Wasted. You can find us wherever um, you get your podcasts. That includes things like Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Rate and review us there. Five stars, please. Um, Thank but uh, thank you so much for joining us. We really, really, really appreciate you and you taking the time. Um, but as we end every episode, we raise a glass and yes. we say, oh, the one musical. Zutua. Cheers. Thank you, Brian. Thank you so much. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.